0: Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance, from building a well-balanced college list and developing a payment strategy to creating a high school plan and more. Each episode will help guide your family through various steps of the process. Enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Getting in a College Coach Conversation. I am your host for this week, Shannon Vasconcelos, here to... we have. I feel like we have a lot to celebrate. It's Pride Month, so that is always very exciting and colorful, and it is also the start of summer. We're recording this a week early, so it's not quite summer yet, uh, but by, th- by the time this drops, it will officially be summer. So I hope all the students out there... Uh, have finished up, I think, just about everywhere in the country. Folks, students will have finished up um, school for the year. And I hope they're going to take some time to relax and recharge this summer before. It'll be September before you know it. I don't want to bum folks out, but take some time this summer to relax and, and recharge. Uh, but before you relax, we have got a great show for you today. In the back half of the show, we're going to be talking to my colleague, Kira Tyler, and answering your listener questions. So if you've sent us a question recently, make sure that you tune in um, because we might be getting to it today. So stay tuned for that. But first, I am so excited to welcome Lauren Carballo from the Web Institute to the show today. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so excited to have you. And this is part of sort of an ongoing series we've been doing Um, to help expose our listeners to some schools that uh, they might not know much about or in some cases might not have even heard of them. They're not, you know, the usual brand name that we hear about on on the news kind of on a daily basis. Um, But there's some really hidden gem schools that might be great – to study a particular subject or for a particular type of student. I think Web Institute is one of those schools. So I'm so excited to have you here, Lauren. And I guess first to kick us off, can you just give us the basics? What is Web Institute?
2: Of course, yeah. So Web is a super unique, small, and highly focused four-year college. We like to call ourselves a collaborative learning community. And it's for students who really have a passion for engineering and a love of the water. So very unique. Uh, student body size of just a hundred students. And I always get this look, a hundred students. Uh, but yes, we all know each other really well. Uh, we live together in a beautiful mansion that overlooks the Long Island Sound that has a private beach. And uh, it's just a wonderful community located in New York. That's fantastic. And
1: I can get behind the love of water part. I don't know if Webb would be right for me with the engineering. I don't know if I could swing that, but I can swing the love of water.
2: <laughs> <laughs> of course.
1: And, I and I, you know, my expertise here within College Coach Lauren is actually on the financial side. And I know that Webb has a very particular scholarship program that, uh, as a finance expert, I am in love with and want to make sure that all the families out there know about. So can you tell us about the
2: scholarship uh, at Webb Institute? Of course. So, Webb is the only engineering college in the country that provides a full tuition scholarship for every US citizen or permanent resident who is admitted to the school. Uh, so, pretty much, we're free tuition. Uh, Our founder, William Webb, never wanted money to be a barrier for students going to college. So this policy has actually been in place since we were founded in 1889. And we always get asked, how are we able to maintain this? Um, And it's really mainly because of our incredible alumni. So we have a great endowment, but we also have one of the highest, if not the highest alumni giving rate in the country with over 70% of our alumni giving back annually. That is so fantastic. You can't beat free tuition. (laughs) No, you can't.
1: <laughs> you really can't. Um, so you mentioned, you know, it's for students who love the water and love engineering. What exactly is the curriculum like? Are are there different majors? Do you do, you know, English uh, courses? What is, what is that
2: part of the, what is actually studying at web like? Yeah, definitely. So we actually have a bit of a lockstep curriculum. So every student takes the same exact courses throughout their years at web and it's actually a cohort model so the students move from year to year together. Um, It's super interesting our curriculum focuses on both like the theoretical and the practical. So we not only have great classroom learning, but we have incredible labs across campus, whether it's an innovation lab or a computer lab or a tow tank or a machine shop or wood shop, whatever you can think of. And we also have a really strong winter work term, which is our internship program. Oh, that,
1: that is fantastic. I, I love it when colleges can incorporate really the practical skills and, and through career experience into their curriculum. Can you tell me
2: a little bit more about the work term? Yeah, of course. So uh, first, I guess it's important to know that our semester system is a little different than most colleges. So our first semester, like many colleges, goes from mid-August to mid-December. But then yeah. we have a break for January and February, where we actually have a guaranteed paid internship. So our second semester doesn't start till March. So yes, we're still it's June and we're still here at Web. Um, <laughs> now, as part of this internship, it's broken down. So your freshman year you're at a shipyard. You're learning what it takes to to build a ship um, to fiberglass or weld or woodwork or put put together the mechanical systems on ship. Your sophomore year, you're out on sea term. You're out on on a ship learning what it takes to bring a ship in and out of port, work with the captain, work with the crew, um, work in the engine room. And then your junior and senior year, you're actually at engineering and design firms. So the thought process is you have to know how to build a ship and then how to maneuver a ship before you can actually design an engineer ship. And all of those are paid internships. You graduate with eight months of work experience, which is part of the reason we have one of the highest starting salaries in the country. That is fantastic. And what you just talked about, some of the skills that student
1: learn students learn, what actually, what kind of careers are they going into
2: um, with your, after, after graduating from Web? Yeah, so good question. So every student here, we're very unique. They study one degree. So it's a dual Bachelor of Science in Naval Architecture and Marine Engineering. And I always get asked, like, what do people do with this? How do people know at the age of 18 they want to go into this? Uh, yeah, it's a really good question. And just, you know, we have about a third of our students are like, yes, I know I always wanted to go into Naval Architecture and Marine Engineering since I was born. But the majority, about two thirds, are like, you know what? I like engineering. I like the water. I like the way you teach. I like the small atmosphere and fall in love with us that way. Now, once they graduate, about 75 percent of our alumni base stay in the industry and about 25 percent do something different. For those who stay in the industry, we have people that work on yachts, container ships, military ships, ferries, cruise ships, uh, sailboats, pretty much anything you can think of. And then different aspects of that. So let's say we're going into the cruise industry a little deeper. It could be designing of the whole. It could be working on hotel refurbishments. It could be designing the amusement parks on cruise ships, working on the mechanical systems within cruise ships. So there's a lot of different areas you can go into within that. That
1: is so interesting. I wouldn't have have thought about all of those different avenues that you could pursue. And I think it's really interesting that 25% of your graduates do something totally different but your curriculum is able to prepare them for that as well. If you decide marine engineering is not for you, there's other things that you can do with, with that degree.
2: For sure. And we actually pay for every student to take their fundamentals of engineering exam. At the end, they have a 100% pass rate. So if you want to go into mechanical, you know, you can make it happen yeah. for sure. That is so great. And so it seems like there's a lot of different
1: fields you can go into. I'm wondering about the like the student body itself? Obviously, everybody has some sort of interest in engineering and the water. Outside of that interest, is it a very sort of
2: monolithic student body or, or what kind of diversity do you have within the student body? Yeah, that's a good question. So it depends what you're looking at. So when you're looking at um, where we're bringing in students from, it's very diverse. So for 100 students, we're bringing in students from 30 different states, as you can imagine mostly coastal and Great Lakes regions, right? Areas where there's yeah. a lot of water, yeah. um, so we definitely have that. Uh, the full tuition scholarship allows us to have socioeconomic diversity. Yeah. Um, the one of the, the two areas we're really working on is gender diversity, so the industry itself tends to be pretty yeah. male dominated. The industry is seven percent female here at Webb, we're 25 percent female, and working to change that, um, and also looking to um increase the number of students coming from different ethnicities and races as well. Yeah. That's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. I think that
1: the education process is better for everybody when you when you have all those students from all different walks of life. So that's fabulous what you've done so far and what you're you're trying to to do even more. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess related to that, what kind of student do you think would do well at web, obviously, again, water engineering, we need, <laughs> we need that to at least be sort of top of mind for a student. Are there other traits, characteristics that, that would make a good, make web a good, or make the student a good fit for web and web a good fit for the students?
2: For sure. Um, so as I said earlier, we have this one degree. So we're looking yeah. for someone that really loves the water, loves the engineering, loves hands-on learning. You don't have to love boats, but you have to at least be fascinated by boats because you're learning about engineering through boats and ships. Yes. Um, it tends to be students that are very hands-on. So typically in high school, they were involved in robotics or Rube Goldberg teams or bridge building competitions yes. or the like. Um, and then, of course, we have our water lovers who, um, you know, enjoy being on sailing teams or swimming teams or something like that. Uh, it's also a student that likes to work hard. We have an 146 credit program. It's actually one of the maximum allowable credits of any college. So it is hefty. So someone who definitely likes to work hard, likes to be challenged um, and likes to experiment and and have fun.
1: That's wonderful.
2: Probably if you get seasick, it might not be the best. fit. I'm guessing. <laughs> We do have some that get seasick, but really? yeah, it was a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge,
1: right? <laughs> anybody outside of you, know, the opposite of what you just said, is there anybody that you're thinking that maybe this wouldn't be the best fit for?
2: Yeah. Well, in addition, if, uh, you know, if a student is not self-motivated and hardworking, like we just said, yeah. they're going to struggle a little bit. But another piece of it is we do have a winter work program where we are sending you to jobs all over the U.S. or beyond. Um, so someone who's independent is also important who can, um, live on their own work in, in the, you know, in a field where there's adults. Um, so that, and then we also have some academic limitations. So every student who applies to Web is required to have, at the bare minimum, AP Calc, uh, sorry, AB Calc, um, okay. or physics and physics. So those are two requirements okay. for students coming in. Okay, fabulous.
1: Um, and actually, tell me then a little bit about your admissions process. We you know you better take those classes in high school, um, and if you you haven't find a way to fit them in, in a summer term, something like that. Um, but tell me more about the, your actual admissions process. How, how, first of all, I guess, how competitive is it? Is Web a hard school to get into? Yeah, we're
2: we're definitely a bit competitive. So yeah. we're looking for those top math science students yeah. that are looking to challenge themselves in APIB honors courses and so yes. on. So, yeah. But-
1: and do you have, is it just a regular decision process or do you have an early
2: action or early decision process? We do. So we have an early decision process. Our deadline is in mid-October, so a little earlier than most schools. Mm. Um, and then regular decision is typically in mid-January. That's great. Yeah. And so mid-October, I hope I hope people's ears perked
1: up when they heard that, because that is earlier than typical. If you start thinking about this, Um you know, late October thinking you'll have a November 1st or a November 15th deadline. That ain't going to fly <laughs> at, at web. You'll be pushed to the regular decision poll. So October 15th, I think that's important if you're really interested in web and want to commit through that early decision process, make sure that you're on top of things early on. Um, and then is it the common app that you use? And if so, yeah. do you have supplemental essays beyond the the standard common app personal
2: statement? Definitely. So um, our process is a little unique, but we are on the Common App. So we are on the Common App like most schools. Uh, We do have one supplemental essay, which is why web or why Naval Architecture and Marine Engineering. We want to ensure that you know what you're getting yourself into. Yes. (laughs) Um, But our process is different in that after you apply, we actually select finalists that are then required to come to campus for an overnight visit. So, And part of this is we want to get to know you even better. As I said, we have 100 students in a grade, we have 28 spots. So we want the opportunity to get to know you. Um, We interview you, we have you take um, two assessments on campus. And at the same time, you get to know us, you will meet every single student, you'll sit in on classes, you'll get the opportunity to eat our food and, you know, (laughs) hang out and be part of our sports practices. Um, So you get a really good sense of what web is all about. That's great. And again, I
1: always have this financial framework in mind. What if that's a requirement for everyone? What if finances might pose an obstacle to coming to campus? Are there any
2: accommodations for that? Correct. So if you submit a FAFSA, um, we do cover your need based on um, your expected family contribution. Wonderful. Great. I love,
1: I love how you're making this amazing education in, in this very a specific field, but that has a lot of career options, but that you're making it available um, to everyone, which I, I think is absolutely fantastic. Um, so we, we've been we've been talking about a freshman admissions process. Do you accept transfer students at all? Because I know you talked about the sort of you're going through the curriculum as
2: a cohort. Do you accept transfer students? So it's a really good question. Yes and no. So yes, we accept transfer <laughs> students, um, but every transfer student actually does begin their college process at Webb as a freshman. So even if you have a year or two of college under your belt, you would go into the freshman cohort and go through the four-year program. Every year, we typically have one to three transfer students who are part of the class.
1: Okay. So it's not a,
2: a huge part of
1: your population and students just need to understand you're starting as a freshman. So you're there's financial implications to that. But again, since your tuition is covered, maybe not extreme financial circum, financial issues with that.
2: For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Very interesting. Um, And I was, I was just doing a little scan on your website and I saw as we're going into summer, seem, seems appropriate that you have a summer engineering academy for high school students. Could you tell us a little bit more about that for, for the the high school students and and parents who think their student might be might be interested in web is this a good
2: way to learn about web yeah definitely so it's a super unique program it's a 2 week program and it accepts students anywhere from incoming 8th graders through 12th graders and the goal is to really ex- you know, it, it gives you a little rundown of different forms of engineering. So during that first week, you learn a little bit about mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, and so on. And then the second week, we have some fun and we introduce you to Naval Architecture Marine Engineering, which combines all these fields. And we say, all right, here's some plywood, some cork, some twisty ties, some glue. Have fun. You have to build a boat that can hold four people that you're going to race at the end of the program through an obstacle course in the sound. So it's a really yeah. great hands-on way to learn what this degree is all about.
1: That is really fantastic. And I we
2: have like a few minutes left. Is there
1: anything else that all the students and parents on the line listening, anything else that you want
2: folks to know about web? Sure. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people tend to ask, uh, you know, it's Naval Architecture, Marine Engineering. It's so specific, right? How do you know this is something that you want to go into? Um, what if I don't love the industry as much as I, I think I, I do, maybe applying to the the, the program itself? Um, And I think it's important to realize that Naval Architecture Marine Engineering is very similar to aeronautical engineering. So it's a systems approach to engineering where you're learning a lot of different skill sets that kind of all come together, whether that's various forms of engineering, math. Yes, it includes some humanities. Um, It includes some business, some finance. Um, You can't build a ship and then go over budget and not be able to deliver, right? So you're learning a lot of different skill sets. And that's what makes it possible for people to also go into something other than this industry, whether it's another field of engineering, business, finance, or so on. So um, it's a really cool degree um, that's hands-on and interesting to learn about. That is so great. And actually,
1: you reminded me when you said the similarity to aeronautical engineering, just uh, for the benefit of our listening, our listeners, next week we're gonna have a representative from Embry Riddle Aeronautical Institute on the show. So that will be interesting. I wanna listen to the segments back to back and see what <laughs> what what the similarities and, and differences are. But I imagine that that there are a lot of, of similarities there. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much Lauren for joining us today. I learned a ton. Every time we do these segments about colleges that I don't know about, I say, "Oh, that's so cool. I want to go back to school and go to that college." <laughs> I don't know if I can build a boat, but but there's so much that 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 web has to offer and I think maybe not for me though. I saw the pictures on your website, the campus I don't know a more gorgeous <laughs> campus in this country um, with that kind of view. It, it's absolutely fantastic, and, and I hope that some of our water-loving and engineering-loving listeners um, may, might have learned something new today and might be checking out the Web Institute. You want to drop the what's
2: the website if folks want to learn more? Sure, www.webb.edu, and as we love our pun, so it's our web W E B B site website.
1: Uh Oh, I bet you got a lot of mileage out of that. Oh, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you again so much, Lauren, for joining us. And listeners, stay tuned for our next segment where we're going to be answering your questions. So stick around.
0: shows and can't get enough of us follow us on instagram at voice america talk radio and see what we're cooking up for you
1: self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today.
2: You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive positive. Inspired and contemplative thought, showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station
1: Hello everyone and welcome back. We're now doing my favorite segment that we do regularly on this podcast, which is listener questions, getting to the heart of what you all out there in listener land actually want to know. Um, So I love doing this segment um, with one of my colleagues. I've got my fantastic colleague, Kira Tyler, former admissions officer at Brandeis University joining me today. Welcome Kira. Thanks, Shannon. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you and just For the benefit of the listeners there, we will answer your questions. Clearly, we're doing it right now. But feel free to send us your questions. There's so many ways that you can reach out to us. You can reach out through our website, getintocollege.com, through our email address. I need to get it right. Gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com or through any of our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. LinkedIn, YouTube, all of them. All of them besides TikTok, we are not on quite yet. Right. Once, Kira, you teach me some dances, we are ready to go live on TikTok. Noted. Deal. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, just drop into our DM, send us any questions that you have, and we will look to get to them in a future episode. But let us dig into what we have for now. Um, And the first question for you, Kira, comes in from Nina. She says... I listen to your podcast every week and have for several years. Awesome. Thank you, Nina. It has been extremely informative and my go-to source for accurate information. So thank you for providing that resource to us. You are very welcome. I'm glad it's been helpful to you. Um, Some background. My youngest son is entering senior year of high school. He has a perfect GPA, ranked one out of 670 students in a public high school in San Diego. Wow. Wow. He is applying to a range of schools, including very competitive ones like Duke, MIT, and Stanford, to name a few. He is interested in pursuing a STEM major, specifically electrical engineering with computer science, which is extremely competitive. He is on track to complete about 15 AP-weighted courses. Now the question, for his fourth year of English, he is considering taking AP Seminar in place of AP English Literature. It is my impression that highly selective colleges would consider AP Seminar a less rigorous class and would prefer to see AP Literature. Also, many colleges do not give English credit for this course. Please let me know your thoughts. Ooh, this is really interesting to me, Kira, especially in light of his interest in engineering does the English course how
3: much does that matter yeah this is an awesome question thank you Nina for being a loyal listener we're super excited and grateful for that and sounds like you have a really lovely you know smart um you know young man that you're raising and um my sense is that he's going to have a lot of options which is wonderful I think, as it relates to this particular question around the EP seminar course, and I'll use these examples of schools that you shared. So we've got Duke and MIT and Stanford. So if I were to answer this question for a place like MIT, it um, they are not um, they are not as sort of strict around the non-STEM classes at a super rigorous level or the same kind of rigorous level um, as a place like Duke or Stanford for that fact. So what I think is probably the best, the best advice is that not because it's seen as a less rigorous course. Like I don't really, I'm not comfortable with that kind of discourse um, because it's not like the class isn't challenging I think there are a few other reasons to think about this. So, one AP seminar is fairly new within the EP Mm -hmm. lexicon. And, um, you know, the, you don't, it's not that you don't get English credit for the, well, he may not in his high school. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I I should say, I'm not sure if you meant that from a graduation perspective or if you meant that from an AP testing um, perspective. Um, But what I will say is that I just think that AP literature is a course that will prepare him better when he goes on to college Mm -hmm. Um, should he, and he's likely to have to take like an, a writing seminar um, or any core classes that involve English, writing, humanities. So I'm not saying that the AP seminar course isn't rigorous, but I think for these particular schools, the rest of the pool will have made a different choice that I think yeah. makes more sense. So I would say take the AP English literature course, take the exam at the end see how you do. Mm -hmm. At these schools, you typically need a five to pretend to make any headway Mm -hmm. in receiving credit or moving further along in the course sequence. So um, I think that for these particular schools, AP literature and its history and um, all of that makes more sense to take than AP seminar.
1: That makes sense. Can you actually, I'm thinking for the benefit of our listeners who might not have heard of AP seminar, don't know what it is. The title in my mind is not super descriptive. It doesn't tell
3: you much about what it is. What is AP seminar? Of course. So it's almost like a a class that helps a student um, have the space to do some deeper study and a dive into a specific topic they're interested in is my ah. understanding. I think it's interesting, Shannon, you and I have done this work for a really long time mm-hmm. that like, you don't hear about AP seminar very much. It's part of the yeah. capstone program. And there's like an AP research class that can be like, can be the next in this sequence. Okay. I think it's because my sense is that it's sort of meant to kind of Um, be a companion to an IB diploma program, like with the theory of knowledge course, like that's sort of my sense of what the EP was thinking about. It just hasn't really quite frankly caught hold. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just think the time is better spent in English literature. That being said, there is a beautiful accessibility um, problem that was solved by putting the EP seminar in place, because it doesn't really have a prerequisite. So, um, almost anybody can take AP seminar in order to take AP research. My understanding is you have to have taken AP seminar as a prereq. So the barrier to entry is lower than it is like an EP Lang or lit, which I think that's always a good thing. Um, so we can grab a, a bigger audience. My sense is that Nina's son just isn't quite the audience for this. Right. Yeah. And it sounds like it could be a really cool, interesting course
1: so. for the right type of kid. Correct. And that's, that's what makes our job interesting and difficult and why it's yeah. challenging for all the families on the line to figure
3: things out, because there is not. The answer is always
1: it depends. It depends.
3: Right. Yeah. yeah. But I think for this, I this for my student, I feel confident in saying this is an awesome question. My recommendation is to do yep. AP Lit. If you really feel like it's a class that you're not fully invested in and you're really pulling for a seminar, you should make that choice and let somebody else figure it out for you on the other side when you're applying to schools. Yes. Makes total sense. And All right. then do you have a question for me, Kira? I do. I do. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. This is from Kathy. And Kathy's question is, my son's college offers an optional pre-fall program that eases freshmen into college. They take two general education courses and live on campus. Would this be considered a qualified expense for five twenty nine slash Coverdell ESA purposes? Thank you. Very good question, Kathy. I'm yes, straightening really my listening ears.
1: Yeah. And for folks on the line who might not be familiar with the terminology, 529s and Coverdell ESA, it stands for Education Savings Account, they're essentially college savings accounts where you get a tax break in that you don't have to pay taxes on the earnings of the account if you use them for qualified educational expenses. You can, use, you can make a withdrawal, use the money for whatever you want, but if it's not a qualified education expense, you would have to pay taxes on the earnings plus a 10% penalty because these, these accounts were designed to be education savings accounts. Um, so Kathy's asking, is this pre-college uh, pre- or pre-fall program, would that be a qualified education expense? And Not knowing exactly the college that you're at, how the program is structured, I would say the answer is likely yes. For the purposes, this is different than some like financial aid programs where you have to be enrolled in a degree or a certificate program to qualify for the benefit. With 529s and Coverdell's, You do not have to be enrolled in a degree or certificate program. You just have to be um, taking this course or courses at an eligible school. And just about every, what you would consider a traditional college, whether it be community college or four-year school, public, private, in the United States, they are all um, eligible schools for 529 Purpose, as long as it's accredited and all of that. Um, so you don't have to be enrolled. Again, don't know how this program is structured. You don't, if you're not officially enrolled in a degree program yet, that is A-OK for 529 or Coverdell purposes. You, it would still be considered a qualified expense as long as you're paying tuition. The tuition for this program or these courses would be a qualified expense. You could also pay for any books, supplies, equipment that are required for these courses out of the 529 or Coverdell. Um, you could also potentially pay for the housing. Uh, Kathy says it, it is an on-campus on, on campus residential program. Yeah. Um, the qualification for using 529 money for housing is that you have to be at least a halftime student. At most schools, two courses would be considered half-time. So I, I think likely, yes, Kathy, you could use your 529 or Coverdell for this pre-fall program. Um, if you want more exact details and the sort of the exact um, sort of regulations of how to use a 529, um, the IRS publishes a great resource. It's called Publication 970. So just Google IRS Publication 970. Oh my gosh. This thrilling reading, Kiera, believe me. But that's where you can find all the details. But I think the answer is yes, you can use the money for this program. Okay.
3: And just so I'm clear, this is like, this. this person is likely asking about a different situation than let's say, let's say a student starting at Penn State in the summer like as a, like as an incoming, like first year student, right. Like they're beginning yeah. their college career. Cause there's some that start, yeah. like you can apply. So this is, this is different. This is like my kids doing a fall start, but they're doing like a little bit of, um, I, this is, um, not uncommon. I just want to be yeah. sure.
1: Okay. I, I, that's my impression. It, it I, either way, if it's the starting Penn state in the summer also, you know, you're enrolled in a agreement, also qualified. So I think either way, Kathy's fine. Okay,
3: cool. Kathy, Mm -hmm.
1: you're in the clear. (laughs) Read that IRS publication. (laughs) Right, exactly. Okay, next question for you, Kira, is from Kelly. She submitted this question through our website. She says, I am a regular listener of your podcast and I have a question about the mechanics of submitting applications that I don't believe has been answered elsewhere. Okay. My son is very involved in his high school marching band. He also plays in the high school pep band and jazz band. And this is a great question for you, Kara, with your with your musical experience. I know, my ears are perked one. up.
3: I'm excited about
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> Though he wants to major in engineering, he would like to continue playing music in some capacity in college but there is not a particular type of band he considers a must-have in his consideration of colleges. Some of the colleges on the top of his list have marching bands, some do not. It is not a critical determining factor for him. If he attends a college with a marching band, he will join, but if they do not have a marching band, he will happily look to join their pep or jazz bands. My question is this. In the Common App, the activities section asks, I intend to participate in a similar activity in college. Mm -hmm. And and should he consider answering this question differently, depending on whether or not the college to which he is applying has a marching band. For colleges that have marching bands, I imagine it would be a positive for him to say, yes, he intends to participate. But for colleges that do not have marching bands, I'm concerned that they will think they are not a good fit for my son if he says yes that he attends to participate in this activity in college. Is it even possible in the common app to answer activities questions differently for
3: different colleges? Thanks for the help. Got it. Thanks, Kelly. Um, okay, so in that in that space, so the activity section that Kelly's referring to on the common application, allows room for up to 10 activities, right? It's like, what's the activity? What years have you participated in? How many weeks, how many hours per week? How many weeks per year? Responsibilities, leadership, whatever. And then do you intend to participate in college? You should answer that as honestly as possible, regardless of whether or not a school has it. Like, Remember that the (laughs) whole... point of the common application is to like cut down on the amount of work that a student has to do make yes. it more efficient and so um, in that particular section he should answer it as authentically as possible and students will note or i'm sorry the reader will note you know your son's interest and they'll make they'll understand like Of course, he applied here at eight other schools and like three of them had marching bands and none others did. And of course, he said he wanted to continue and they will make the calculation that he's likely to slip into something else, as Kelly says, like a pep band or something. Now, Kelly, for some schools in the when you go to the mycologist tab and you start to like actually work on supplemental questions for some of the schools they sometimes ask this question again, like Mm. here are some activities on campus. Let us know on our specific campus, right? Like let us know which of these, if any, are appealing. So some will ask that on their own supplement. So they will get, then he will get to truly kind of match up his interest with the school. Aside from that, he should just be thinking authentically about, I love music. I want to play in some capacity he should check all the boxes and don't worry about it. Now, if he said, for example, like I want to major in architecture and he was applying to like all these schools that had no architecture, that would feel like not a good fit. But around activities, um, you know, people have a lot more uh, grace and understanding the the room's a lot bigger. It's fine. Yes. Totally fine. Yeah. Colleges understand that it,
1: likely not the driving factor of this college decision and that there are similar activities. We don't have marching, but we have the pep
3: band that, that will likely do. Yeah. Shannon, you know, they also don't hold people to this either. So it's not like, you know, he like matriculates somewhere and they're like, hold on. You said, you wanted to do jazz band, get ye to the jazz band. Where are you? (laughs) It's just, you know, like, like people should feel totally fine saying what's in their heart at the moment. Don't think too hard about it. And we'll, it'll work itself out in the wash. Love it. Don't overthink
1: it. Be authentic. Correct. I think good messages to take into all
3: realms of this process, right? right? I think so. I think so. Also. Okay, Shannon. Yes. I have a question for you. Yes. Rather, Confused Dad from Facebook has a question for you. Okay. Okay. I love the as, pseudonym. I know. <laughs> Listen, sometimes I'm confused, Mom. Um for sure. as my eldest inches closer to college, I have been thinking about taking on a second job. The next tax year, tax year, 2024, will be the prior, prior year that would be considered for her freshman year financial aid award. I want to put myself in a position to help pay for college costs but I want to avoid inadvertently shooting myself in the foot with financial aid. I ran the EFC calculator, which I know will be updated late this year, for my current income and what my income would be if I were working two jobs. The expected family contribution jumped 10000 for the federal methodology and around 4000 for the institutional methodology, assuming a 25000 increase in income. So that would be a net gain of 15000 once college begins. But until then, I would be able to save the entire amount for college, which would be amazing. Since we are a family of six, I assumed that we would qualify for some aid at our state universities. Nope. Confused dad's <laughs> words, not mine. Not mine. <laughs> um, I ran the net price calculator for our flagship state university and it spit out a full price number. But I also use net price calculators for out-of-state private colleges. And on paper, they are much more generous, even when projecting future income. While taking, here's the question, while taking on a second job would impact my quality of life, it does seem like the prudent financial decision. What am I missing? Are there other things to consider? Confused dad. Yes, confused
1: dad. I understand why you're
3: confused. And I I think that
1: this is a really, really hard question, it's a hard question for me to answer and a hard question for even harder question for you to answer. Um, There are just a couple of specific points wrapped up in this question that I I wanted to touch on briefly. Um, Confused dad says he ran the EFC calculator. He knows it's going to be updated uh, late this year. I think that that's an important point that right now, Um, we we are in the midst of a transition. The FAFSA that opens up for next year is going to be a very different FAFSA with a very different uh, financial aid calculation associated with it. The EFC calculator and the net price calculator that that Confused Data is also run, those are typically our go-to tools of figuring out what kind of financial aid eligibility you will have they are still the best tools we have, but I think at this particular point in time, you really have to take them with a grain of salt because they are not updated with the new formula yet. Essentially, um, the Department of Education has not fully released all the technical specifications that um, that are necessary to update these calculators. So take calculator results with a grain of salt at this particular point in time. And the other point about the estimates of an EFC calculator, you know, he says, you know, he thinks without the extra job, he, he would have maybe $10,000 more financial aid eligibility. A really important um, specific point about the financial aid process is your financial aid eligibility is not does not necessarily equate to how much financial aid you will actually receive. Mm -hmm. Essentially your financial aid eligibility is the most you could receive in financial aid. Okay. But most colleges do not have enough money to meet every student's full eligibility. Um, So you may receive well less than that. So I think that's a point to take into consideration when weighing your options here, maybe you get You're eligible for more aid without the extra job, but do you actually get the aid? That is not a guarantee. So I just think that uncertainty needs to be taken into consideration is, you know, the bird in the hand, the job with the extra money that you know is going to pay you $25,000 extra, is that more valuable to you than the possible extra financial aid associated with not working the job, the bird in the hand worth more than the, the two in the bush. I, I just think it has to enter the, the thought process here, which doesn't make things easier. It makes things harder, of course. Sure. Um, the other point I wanted to uh, talk about just a smidge is that Confused Dad here found running the net price calculators that the private colleges were much more generous with financial aid. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that is just an important point for everyone on the line to understand that that can absolutely happen. Private colleges tend to have a massive sticker price. Almost no one, if you look at the numbers, actually pays the full sticker price. It's like 90 percent of students get some type of discount uh, with scholarships or grants at private colleges. So. I would not exclude private colleges from your selection process based simply on their sticker price because your net price may be well less than that. And again, the net price calculator that is available on every college's website should help you get to what your actual cost at any particular school would be, again, granting that they are not um particularly accurate at this given moment in time, unfortunately, still, you know, our best estimates. Um, but I do want to say we actually cut it out of this question. So it wasn't in the part that you read, Kira, but I actually saw this this question come in on Facebook and Confused okay. Dad told us his income, he told us the state he lives in. And I am surprised that the net price calculator at um, at his state universities showed no aid eligibility. So this is a point specific to Confused Dad. I might give a second look at the net price calculator at your, uh, I, I did the calculator with your numbers at your flagship state university. And of course, I don't know your whole financial situation. Um, So it's very, it's possible that the, the result was accurate for you. But using the assumptions I plugged in, you qualified for some financial aid. So Confused Dad, I I take a second look at the net price calculator. Um, but with all that in mind, you know, dad's essential question, you know, while taking on a second job, would impact my quality of life? It does seem like the prudent decision. You know, what should I be considering here? Like I don't have an answer <laughs> to that. Uh, unfortunately, I think there are trade-offs that you really do have to weigh. Yes, it makes financially it makes more sense to work the second job. And that that's guaranteed money. And um, it helps keep you and your kids out of debt. And think about the quality of your life and your kid's life after graduation, if they have to take on more debt, what is the quality of life looking at, like at that point? By the same token, you know, I'm thinking about this like as a mom, and these might be like my last few years with my kids at home. And do I want to Take on a second job that's going to be taking up a lot of my time that I could be spending with my kids. You know, in these last few years that I have them at home. So, and yeah, you know, so confused, Dad. Like, I think that's what you need to think about. And I give you major kudos <laughs> for for really thinking about weighing these Same. options. You know, Being I talk proactive. to yes, you know, I talk to so many people who don't think about this till the last minute, and you know, are. Like, how do I borrow all these student loans? You, you know, that's kind of the only option available if you wait too long. So thinking about it in advance, I think is awesome. And I don't have a great answer for you, but I, I think you just have to weigh the trade-offs
3: here. and the one thing that I was thinking about too, is like, I, I don't know if this is the first student to, you know, first child or a family yes. of six kind of seem like the first child. Also, like, are you setting yourself up for the next however many years of working a second job while your kids are in college? And to your point sort of about quality of life, I think that that's a question that only, you know, he and or a partner, a family, kids can answer. But, you know, this could be setting sort of a precedent around this idea. And like, what does that do with quality time? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So hard. I know it is a good question so confused dad. <laughs> we feel your
1: pain. We do feel that. We're confused too confused dad. We don't have an answer for you. <laughs> okay, next question for yeah. you Kira comes in from Joe. Okay. Um and he says on the in the other information quote unquote section of the college application, would it be worthwhile to give insight into your application plans? Statements like, I'm applying to five schools A, B, C, D, and E. I really like your school, but can't apply early decision for financial reasons. You are the only Ivy League college I'm applying to because you are my top choice and I really mean it. Uh, I can see that public schools might not read this, but would this make a difference for selective private schools like? Brown, Emory, WashU, uh, or maybe kids should just rank like medical schools do. That's the commentary from Joe. So, <laughs> what do you think about this? This other information section yeah. should you be sending messages to schools um, in there about no. your application process?
3: Absolutely not. Um, I will. That's my. That's my final answer. Yes. Firm. <laughs> this um, is not an it depends. This, this is, is a not, hard no is, from this, Kira. This is a hard no. I'll give a little color, which is that. For folks listening, um, the the it's additional information section on the common application um, allows for for students to write about things that they haven't been able to address. This is really meant for extenuating circumstances. Mm-hmm. So I was absent twenty six days and received homebound instruction in tenth grade because I had, you know, I was recovering from a concussion or you know um, my grandparent got really sick and they live in our home and I had to take responsibility for my siblings and my grades dipped and like, It's really extenuating circumstances not to it's we always say like it's not to share excuses, right? This is also a spot where if someone kind of messed up a little bit and, you know, they got an infraction or, you know, they used chat GPT and did not shouldn't have (laughs) like this is not the time to make an excuse, but just to lay out the facts. But only if you really think somebody needs to know. The bottom line is this is your student's business. Nobody else needs to know where else they're applying. It really won't be helpful and actually could harm them a little bit because then schools could start being like, oh, well, we know Emory and WashU are going to do this and we're going to do, you know, I just, let me say this, 95% plus of all applicants leave this section blank. It is intended to be blank. So if it has something in there, make it really worth it. And I don't think that this is information that will be helpful in the process.
1: No. And for schools that track demonstrated interest, there's other better ways to show
3: interest. Correct. That's right. Do a visit, do an interview, do some online programming. Those are all better ways in which to show your interest. So that
1: is perfect. Thank you, Kira.
3: And I, think that that's
1: actually all the that time is. that okay. we have for today. It went okay. really, really fast. I know <laughs> you have to come back here because I want to chat that about was so questions fun. With you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so actually, you know, what? we have maybe one minute since okay. we're entering into summer. Any tips for the rising seniors, what they should do with their summer besides sure. go to the beach? Yes. Or is the that beach. the primary task? It's my primary task.
3: It's great. Get some rest. Right. Yes. Take that vacation and also work every day. I would say starting like two weeks from the end of your junior year. um, Give yourself a breather like Mm -hmm. two weeks out. You should touch college every day in some Mm. way maybe it's 15 minutes. You're going to like sign up for a mailing list. You're going to go through your email, call some stuff. Um, maybe you're going to get a new email address that's specifically for college applications. Um, you know, maybe the next day you'll spend 45 minutes doing a a virtual tour, like every day, probably give yourself a breather and then get into it. Um, start your essays by July, start either your PIQs for the uh, California schools or your main mm-hmm. essay for the college for the common application by July. I love it. You're a taskmaster and I love it. Oh, yeah. so th-
1: thank you, Kira, for being a taskmaster and for answering <laughs> all these questions. Um, thank you listeners for joining us. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other folks find us. So we want to be able to share this info with as many folks as possible. Definitely join us next week. Put that on your summer to-do list. Um, We're going to be looking at more kind of hidden gem colleges, George Fox University, as well as Embry-Riddle Aeronautical Institute. So that's really exciting. We're also going to be looking for you parents of seniors or graduates, I will call you now, parents of graduates or graduates yourselves, we're going to be looking at the remaining paperwork that you've got to do. Uh, You're not quite done yet. So don't delete this show from your feed yet. We still have some great content coming. Uh, And just by the way, talking about next week's episode, we are expecting some big decisions coming out of the Supreme Court in the next uh, week or two about race conscious admissions, about student loan debt relief, when those decisions come out, we will likely be preempting our regularly scheduled episodes. So that's likely to happen in the, in the next few weeks. Um, so definitely stay tuned to your feed for information on the Supreme Court decisions and how those may affect you. And definitely tune in next week. Remember, we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, A College Coach Conversation. New episodes drop every Thursday. The goal of this show is to demystify the college admissions process for families around the globe. To help with this mission, please leave a review and share with your friends. And to learn more about Bright Horizons College Coach, visit GetIntoCollege.com.